because I'm kind of a binge rider. I, I will go and I get an idea, like I'll go for a bike ride and I'll get an, a, an idea for a chapter. Maybe it's just a little dialogue. And I'll run it through my head during the entire course of the bike ride. And then I'll like, come home and I'll sit down and I'll write for four or five hours okay. sometimes. And oftentimes, the, well, the chapter's done by that time. And sometimes it's, uh, it's not good, but it's done. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it needs to be worked on. And so I, I don't know. I would not say I will go like a week without writing. And in the case of um, 2020, I went 10 months without writing. Yeah. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 177 of the Commander Voice. Today I speak with an author and a member of the Kamano Writers Group. Please welcome Finley Beach. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kamano Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they're going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey Islanders and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, that being said, there is a small chance that I will not have a podcast next Tuesday. So there's that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just working on some guests right now and... Um, I fell behind when I thought I had one lined up, and so uh, I'm working on it. I'm hoping to have one out by next Tuesday, but there is a small chance I will miss that window. So, um, all right. Uh, the other thing I want to take note on, uh, well, I guess, first of all, how is your guys' week going? Um, had another, had a beautiful Saturday. Sunday was a little overcast, but still nice. And uh, yeah, remember how warm Washington can get, and uh, it was really nice. Had a... Got a lot done around the house and enjoyed that sunshine. Uh, so hopefully you guys were also able to get out and enjoy that. Maybe listen to a podcast or two, maybe. No? Okay, that's fine. Um, anyways, so got to do that. Uh, yeah, enjoyed the sun. So uh, back in the office today and uh, here with another episode. So um, before we get into it, I did want to apologize. I did not realize one of my mic cords was going out during this podcast um, and so I was thought it was a mic, so I switched mics, and I thought I solved it. Um, but I do apologize. The quality is not as great as I'd like it to be. Uh, I will say the first few, like probably five, ten minutes is worse, and then it does kind of even out a little bit as you get farther into the episode. But I apologize. I have new uh, mic cords now, so this should no longer be a problem. Um, but that is what the weird buzzing and hissing, uh, and it's also why I'm a little quieter because it was my cord that was the issue. Um, so please be aware of that. I apologize again. Um, but I hope that does not detour you from this uh, podcast episode because I have a returning guest on this episode and you're thinking, what? I've never seen Finley Beach. I've never seen this person. So how can they be a returning guest? Well, that's because I thought that I'd have a little bit of fun and I used his pen name in the intro. Granted, I should have continued that throughout and I did not. So, um, but I'm actually welcoming back Dr. Ray Pope, who was a guest on our podcast a while ago. Um, I should have written down the episode, but I did not. As many of my longtime listeners will know, I'm not that organized. So, um, anyways, yes, so she's returning, but this time not as a doctor, but as an author. Um, he's now released two books um, in the Managed Paranoia series, 
And uh, we're going to get into those. And, um, and it's going to be a trilogy, so it will have an end when it's all finished, um, when he comes out with the third book. And, um, but he's also a, an avid member of the Kamano Writers Group. And so um, he's a huge proponent of that and just being able to all bring the local authors together um, to work on their craft and also just to talk and talk about different pieces and tools and stuff like that that they use for um, writing. So uh, they get into, we get into some of that stuff of, of why he feels it's important. And they've got all sorts of people that join this group. They've got poets. They've got fiction writers and um, all sorts of other writers. And so they try and keep it very useful information, uh, again, like tools and things like that, that no matter what type of writer or genre writer you are, uh, you're going to get something out of it. So uh, we'll have a link to their group. I believe I have that link. I might have a link to that. Um, otherwise, it's the Camino Writers Group. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so if you are an author or an aspiring author, um, Connect with that group because uh, they meet once a month and um, uh, you'll hear Dr. Ray Pope talk about how, um, how it's helped him and how he's enjoyed that. So, um, all right. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Finley Beach. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today I'm speaking with uh, an, the, an author of uh, The Managed Paranoia and also a member of the Camino Writers Group. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ray Pope. Hi, Brandon. It's good to be here. Yeah, nice to have you again. And it's it's fun because you're, you know, obviously it's in your title. It's Dr. Ray Pope. And so, but today you're not coming to us as a doctor. You're coming as an author. That's right. A little different. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So tell us a little bit. Um, I know you've been on the podcast before, um, but for the listeners who didn't listen to that, just give us a quick overview of, of you and then jump into kind of your... Uh, book writing. Sure. Well, the last podcast that we did was in, uh, I think, April 2020. And of course, most of us remember that that was uh, during the heyday of the COVID outbreak and mm -hmm. life was a little different. We did it uh, uh, not in person. In fact, we were uh, separated by the internet. Yes. And uh, I was talking about something that still, I think, holds true today, which is the idea of chasing towards health and not trying to fight disease. Mm -hmm. And if anything has proved that point in the last three years, it's been the success rate of the people who have stayed healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So when did you get started in writing? Well, I've always wanted to um, write and I thought I've had a book inside me for, you know, a very long time. But I think uh, in uh, 2018, uh, I had kind of a cathartic winter. Um, I got sick and almost died, and my mother did die. And so mm -hmm. there was, like, all of a sudden this, how long are we going to wait before we write this novel that's been in our heart for so many years? And so I really um, started to focus on writing. And um, it's not a skill that was just natural to me, but I've always done um, some nonfiction writing just because uh, to be a doctor means to teach. And so one of the things that I would do on a regular basis is to write articles about health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it something uh, before you became a doctor and stuff, was that something you were ever interested in, like being an author or writing or any of that? 
Not really. No, okay. I was a, a hard science uh, person in college, and so when I came to uh, Washington and started practicing chiropractic, I, I thought about hard science. I wasn't thinking about, you know, fiction or life uh, as a creative in any way. So yeah. it's been a total change in the direction of the way things are going. Yeah, very cool. So, um, tell us about the book series that you had, and, or that you have, and um, where the idea and, and kind of that came from. Yeah, so the, the title of the series is um, Managed Paranoia, and there are three books, and two of them are out on Amazon at this point. And uh, the series is also referred to as the Hank Gunn series, okay. because that's the main character. Awesome. Where did uh, where did the idea behind this series come from? Well, that's interesting because there's a um, one thing I've noticed. Uh, actually, in 2018, I was thinking more along the lines of speaking to the ideas of uh, the state and how it overreaches. So we see the nanny state, which is kind of an overreaching in the paternalistic. Uh, way of saying, oh, we're going to take care of you from cradle to grave. Yeah. And I and a lot of other people have noticed that maybe that's not the best way to uh, handle civilization is to coddle all of the people. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, probably not sustainable. But I thought, well, that might be interesting to, to write about uh, in a roundabout way and use fiction as the, the backdrop. And then the other uh, idea is kind of the, the evil twin of the nanny state, which is the predatory state. And so in 2018, that seemed like where I was going to go and perhaps a dystopian novel uh, for a uh, apocalyptic future. But uh, then COVID happened. <laughs> yeah, you can see where this is going, right? <laughs> kind of took the wind out of my sails because the nanny state and the predatory state became our state. And uh, as a result, uh, it literally uh, made it so I stopped writing for about 10 months and I, wow. I reevaluated what it was that the purpose of my book was. So it, it went from a, you know, apocalyptic dystopian novel to being a hopeful tomb about the future of possibilities. Okay. Yeah, well, that, and you know, um, I, I guess uh, when it comes to writing books, I've, I've dabbled in, in writing and stuff, and there's, there's all sorts of different methodologies out there that people use. Um, are you like an outline person, or are you a, there's, I've heard people that are like, we write from the heart, I'm like, but how do you make sure it all connects? But like, there's, there's all types. What type are you kind of? Yeah, I, I tried the outline, and I wasn't very successful at it. I found it frustrating Yeah. because uh, it, it trapped me into parameters that I just, I don't know, maybe it reminded me too much of high school English, yes. and, yeah. <laughs> which I didn't do very well at. But, um, so I, I would consider myself a discovery writer. Okay. So I start, I sit down at the computer, and I just start uh, to write, and discover where I'm going, you know? Okay. Nice. So how far into this book series were you when everything with COVID happened and you took that, that break? Not very far. I probably had, um, 
maybe a quarter of the the actual number of words, which if you know anything about writing, you realize that that's basically you could have 100% of the total number of words and still not be even close to being done. Yes. And so yes. I, there was a lot of um, iterations, uh, but yeah, I wasn't very far into it. Okay. That's why I think the, the, the hopeful aspect of this book kind of was able to take uh, hold really early on. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, tell us a little bit about um, the series. Like, um, obviously, don't get into spoilers or anything, but just kind of a, a, an overview of, of what people would be jumping into. Well, the again, we're we're talking about maybe this is a good point to actually look into the the genre problem with the book. And I say problem because with genres we like to categorize. It helps us to figure out what part of the bookstore, if there were any bookstores left anymore, uh, to, <laughs> yes. to go to. And then we could search that section. Um, now I guess we do the online equivalent of that. But um, I would say that one of the, the people who reviewed um, my book early on kind of said it, that uh, managed paranoia defies categorization into genres, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I look at, I've struggled with that. I, I call it because I have to call it something. Right. I, uh, and so I, I consider it a near future sci-fi thriller, okay. which I think is, you know, it's probably as good a working definition of the categories as anything, but there's, there's a little bit of, um, of romance. There's speculative fiction. There's, uh, a faith journey. So there's, uh, and then there's the political drama, which I talked about, Yeah. you know? So, so, I mean, there's, there's nuances that make it so it can appeal to a lot of, uh, different people. In fact, the sci-fi aspect of the title or the subtitle that I'm using or the category that I'm using seems to be almost distracting because people think warp drives and aliens and it's not it's near future um, we're talking about what we might actually be seeing in the next 10 years so. yeah very cool so um the other thing that i think will stand out as soon as you know people check out your um, website which is finleybeach.com which we'll have in the show notes but you don't actually publish under dr ray pope so why do you publish under a pen name Good question. <laughs> it's not the first time I've been asked that. So um, I would say that there's there's probably three major reasons. Uh, one of them is uh, the I have colleagues, so uh, I'm one of the doctors at Pope Chiropractic. Uh, I'm one of the providers there. So there are other people who work um, and are reflected under that umbrella of the Pope name. So on, for the benefit of my colleagues, I don't want to um, write something that they might not agree with and then all of a sudden be connected to that. Yeah. So, so I've done it to distance myself in that way, or at least my writing in yeah. that way. Um, then for myself as well, I think professionally all my nonfiction writing has all gone under Dr. Ray Pope. But I decided that now that I'm entering the fiction genre or category, that we would um, 
it would be smart to kind of separate the two. Yeah. And so it allows for people to search, if they want a chiropractor, they search Ray Pope. If they want an author, they search Finley Beach. Okay. And then, of course, uh, there's a lot of really famous authors that have done pen names. Yes. Samuel Clemens, of course, we know him as Mark Twain. It worked out for him. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, and the other question I have then is, um, where does the, the pen name come from? Oh, well, my middle name is Finley. Okay. And it's family names from Scotland years ago. And um, I, I just, there have been times when people have called me Finn as a nickname, F-I-N, instead of the double N that um, others might be. And so I thought, well, that would be a good first name. And then Beach is my favorite place. <laughs> and so it doesn't take long to figure out Finley Beach was going to be my pen name. Very cool. Awesome. Um, so when you're, when you're creating the book, uh, when you were creating the books um, and you're building characters and stuff, um, how do you decide how they're going to be and, and interact in the world and stuff? Well, again, that goes back to kind of being a discovery writer is mm -hmm. as, you, um, as you write, you tend to travel along a road and you come to a problem and uh, you have to solve that problem. So solving one problem often leads to another and there goes your book. You keep going. Yeah, very cool. So tell us a little bit about the main characters in, in the book. Well, Hank Gunn, as I said, uh, it's the Hank Gunn series, and that um, is the double N, G-U-N-N. And he is a, uh, a former Navy medic who is, uh, trying to, was trying to live his dream and sailing around the world. So he built a, a boat and was doing that as fast as he could in a around-the-world race, and it ended in disaster. His boat sank. Mm -hmm. And so, actually, we pick him up at the beginning of book one in a, uh, the office of his psychologist and <clears throat> talking about his uh, brush with death and the psychological aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And that's why, since he is a former uh, military vet, he is in a veteran's situation yeah. where it's a, um, a suicide prevention program, basically. And he ends up getting locked into that. And he's not sure that he really um, is benefiting from it. And that's where um, the reader gets to explore what he does next. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so how much uh, research and what kind of research did you do for your main character? That's an interesting question. I actually um, can say I did no research for my characters. Okay. Uh, characters are, to me, I mean, that's the, the thing that makes a book interesting. I, I want them to develop in an organic way. They have a complexity that has to um, kind of come out in the story. And so with with that, you know, researching a character isn't important because I've had six decades of life experience and I, I know a lot about people, or at least I've listened or tried to listen to as many people as I can. And there's certain 
um, situations and personalities that I think uh, have have stood out, and I try to do them justice by writing those uh, characteristics into mm-hmm. my character. Yeah, very cool. And and I know something uh, from growing up around your son. Well, two, both, you know, your family. Um, that you've always, when you've watched movies or things like that, you've always uh, explo- or pointed out or exploited the things that you're like, well, that doesn't seem realistic or that doesn't seem even plausible. How has that kind of played a role in when you've done writing and stuff? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting um, observation because coming from a very hard science background, uh, I do, I am critical of uh, when people sort of take the liberties, say, with with some of the properties of physics. And I mean, it's, it's kind of handy, you know, if you want to. Um, and if you go out far enough, I suppose you can make the argument in science fiction. But I'm not going out far enough to, to kind of take liberties with science. And so that would be the one place where I really do find myself researching a lot uh, with for for these novels is in the the scientific aspects of what's possible, mm-hmm. uh, what's already happening, what could happen. Uh, you know, for instance, there's a uh, part of the the set of the of the first novel. Actually, all the novels is on a seastead, which well, what's a seastead? Most people have never heard of that before. It's an actual. There's something called the Seasteading Institute, which is an organization that's devoted to uh, promoting living on the sea and <clears throat> obviously doing it in a way that's um, environmentally responsible, socially responsible, creative in that um, it, by doing it in smaller groups, people, like-minded people can get together and work on their own governance. Mm-hmm. So there's there's kind of a, a decentralized, decentralized aspect to the idea of seasteading. And I, I run with that theme in the book. However, do you know of any seasteads? No. No, because I don't know of any either. <laughs> and um, yet, on paper, they seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, Joe Quirk uh, the, um, of the Seasteading Institute wrote a book called Seasteading. And it, it's, it's been out for many years. And if if it had gone to the point of becoming more popular and there was more money behind it, and you know, if we weren't going, maybe putting as much money into jumping out into space and trying to get to Mars, maybe we would have these floating communities on the oceans that are answering a lot of uh, society's issues, including food production and energy consumption and um, uh, governance and, and many other um, opportunities for individuals. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a neat concept, and I did a tremendous amount of research in finding out how to make that appear like it was a real thing. That's where the speculative fiction comes in a little bit. So yes, I take liberties, but I don't stretch science. <laughs> no shooting gas cans and exploding them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very cool. Well, that, um, I, I, uh, you know, being a person that has been into science fiction and stuff like that, that that realm, you know, throughout growing up. I think kids that grew up in the 90s were inundated with it with Star Wars and all the different things. And um, there was a book I read, and I was wrecking my brain trying to think of the name of it, but it's by a, an actual, like, astrophysicist or scientist that wrote it, and it's, a, it's about 
the theory of science fiction. And they're like, he basically takes the book, and I think there's like 15 different things he touches on of like, could this ever be real in physics how we know it? Could this be real? And so he goes through like force fields and invisibility and like all these different things that were, it was a super fascinating book. And it was written, I want to say it was written a long, like a decent while ago, like in, like either in the like 80s or um but he kind of touches on all the different things, and it was really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a nonfiction about science fiction. How much better can you be? I mean, talk about a complicated um, category. Yeah. No, it was, it was really cool. I enjoyed it. Um, awesome. So um, on top of the book series and everything, you're also a big member and proponent of the Kamano Writers. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so... Before COVID, there was a small writers group that got together um, on Kamano very regularly every month. And uh, once the pandemic hit, of course, that all stopped. And one of the members, Jim Bartlett, and I were kind of like, hey, when are we going to ever get this back together? And it just didn't happen. So we decided that we would um, kind of see what happened. We know there's a lot of writers on uh, Camino Island, Stanwood, in the area that are, are excellent writers. And um, we were like, I wonder what they're doing to get together and support each other. Mm -hmm. And so we, we found um, some small groups of people that were getting together. And we thought, well, let's just um, and get to a point where we're supporting the authors that are already out there writing. And so that's where Kamano Writers came uh, up. And so we, we meet above my office there at Pope Chiropractic right now and once a month. And uh, we have about 13 um, people who have participated consistently with, with the group. Wow, and, very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a really... Um, and they're everything from uh, poets to um, memoirs to historical fiction, novelists. Uh, we have people who just know they have a book or uh, something to, to write or publish in them that haven't really started to do it yet. Okay. And it's, it's just a really fun group. We, um, we only meet for a very short time, um, once a month. There are nine to usually 10, 11, uh, not, not past 11. Um, on Saturday morning, the fourth Saturday of each month, we try. And uh, we, we talk about techniques like uh, when do you find time to write? When is the best, uh, you know, or what are the best platforms that you use to help your writing? I mean, we've gone beyond the pen and paper standpoint of being a writer and we're into the digital age. So we spend a lot of time saying, do you like Word? And somebody will say, oh, well, I use this, you know. And so we end up talking about the actual digital platforms. Um, there's formatting uh, discussions because it's not just writing. It's getting it to a um, into a format that actually can be published. Yeah. So there's also um, you know we'll we'll talk about favorite writing podcasts and blogs and things of that nature. So it's very supportive. We're not looking to critique anybody. Okay. That can happen on your own. Um, I have a a group a small group of people that actually read my uh, my progress chapter by chapter. 
give me a little bit of feedback and perhaps a critique or two or 10 um, <laughs> on, on a particular chapter. And, and that's great. But we don't want to like bore everybody who's not interested in that. Um, you know, so it's a great time a place for people to actually get together with other like minded writers. Yeah. So poets can get together with poets and um, historical fiction people can get together with with those, you know, like minded people. And, and maybe the critiques can happen as a spin-off from the group. So that's what we're all about. Yeah, very cool. And was that something that you guys um, learned over time or from talking to other people? Or what kind of made you move in that direction? You mean to actually start a group to, to well, meet? or to start the group and also to kind of aim in that direction of like, we're going to be uh, more, not generic group in a bad way, but generic in the sense that everyone can participate and it's going to be beneficial for everyone to regardless if you're a poet or an author or what genre you're in. Yeah, well, there's, um, I I think we've, most of the people who are involved have been in other writing situations, writing groups or critique groups or um, um, have friends who are writers and talk together. You know, I mean, that's basically the mood of the group is more of a, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about something that we love doing. Yeah, nice. Um... How has being a part of the Commando Writers Group impacted your own writing? Well, it makes me more humble, for one. Um, there, uh, I'm astounded at the, the quality of the writing that's going on out there, um, both that that's published and that's the not published. And so I, I really um, find some... Uh, inspiration in in that because it's challenging. I I don't like to uh, to get left behind. I guess. Yeah. And so, um, being uh, as part of a, a group like this, I, I find a, um, a, a writers tend to be happy to just sort of sit by themselves and start going and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and and not really necessarily need to or want to have contact with other people. (laughs) And so you get a little reclusive and coming out and meeting with other writers once a month causes uh, me at least to uh, expand what my possibilities are and challenge me to do better. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, For you... Uh, specifically, are you a morning writer or an evening writer or a middle of the day writer? Or? Yeah, I would. That was actually the last uh, meeting we had. That actually came up, and we went around the room, and we found out that everybody's a little different. And my answer was, I'm kind of a binge writer. I I will go and I get an idea. Like I'll go for a bike ride, and I'll get an a, an idea for a chapter. Maybe it's just a little dialogue. And I'll run it through my head during the entire course of the bike ride. And then I'll like, come home and I'll sit down and I'll write for four or five hours okay. sometimes. And oftentimes, the, well, the chapter's done by that time. And sometimes it's, uh, it's not good, but it's done. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it needs to be worked on. And so I, I don't know. I would not say I will go like a week without writing. And in the case of... Um, 2020, I went 10 months without writing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, What have you noticed from writing your second book from your first book? Are 
are there pieces that you're like you realize like in the first book not from a story perspective but just from a writing technique standpoint that you're like oh I could have done that chapter differently or how do you feel like you've continued to grow in that um, yes continue to grow is definitely um, part of it I, I'm gonna if you don't mind I'd like to rephrase that a little bit yeah. because uh, what I what I found is that the second book was so much easier than the first book because all of the things that used to keep me awake at night, um, like, well, what voice am I writing in? You know, well, that's answered because here's the second book. It's part of a series, so I don't get to change that. So that decision was made. Um, and uh, my characters, they're, you know, you, you develop your character and it's not like you can, I don't have any schizophrenic characters, so I can't just change their personality because I learned something on the first book. Yeah. I have to be consistent within the second book for that. And, and so that makes it easier. It takes a lot of the pressure off um, the, the writer for sure because um, you're following the natural growth of that character through situations and circumstances that they confront during their experience in the book. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually so much easier, and that's why it took me like three and a half years or more to write the, um, the first book, and it took me seven months to write the second. And, wow. and then it, I spent another three months kind of editing and reiterating and all that. But um, so, so really 10 months was from beginning to end, the second book. Wow. And it was, it was more fun. I thought it flowed better, and I did learn um, from it. But yeah. it was, it, it's, um, so I'm hoping with the third book, which will be this final installment, that's not a spoiler alert, I'm being open about that. <laughs> and um, people are getting tired of cliffhangers, so I've got to wrap it up with this third one. I might take a little longer than 10 months, though. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. When I was looking at, like, you know, when I do fiction writing for classes or things like that, one of the things I would run into is when I'm when you're writing certain sections. Um, now, mine were always, like, based on, like, combat or fantasy or something like that. So, like, a, there'd be a lot of, like, action sequences. And what I would find is, like, I would write through a sequence, and I'm like, I used, like, swing, like, a hundred times, or I use, like... And so when I listen to books and stuff like that, um, or read books, I don't typically read because I'm mainly an audible person. Um, but when I listen to books, I listen for those words, like, oh, they're having a, an action sequence. Oh, they used that. Oh, they implied that. But, like, how have you kind of dealt with, like, and it may be different in your books, but how have you kind of dealt with that? Like, when you read a section, like, I use the same word, like, 20 times. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's the a conundrum that writers face, and everybody faces that uh, who tries to publish something. But you, um, there are tools and methods to kind of help you with that. I use, and this is one of the things we discuss in the writers group and Commando Writers, is um, there are different. You're probably familiar with Grammarly, or you know, there's different tools that um, you can run your your text through. I I use Pro Writing Aid. Mm -hmm. And it actually will um, 
count the number of words that you may be overusing. Okay. And then you can go through it again. The thing that I think readers, you know, and I, I, I am a reader, I'm an avid reader, and don't really realize or don't think through a lot is that the book that you actually are reading has been gone over and over and over and mm -hmm. over. The author, even Stephen King, I don't think he goes and he sits down <laughs> and he just cranks out the perfect manuscript. Right. And so, so there is a lot of... Um, uh, revising and and careful editing and that type of thing and those those repetitions those are one of the things that you're going to to work out either through a digital tool like a platform yeah or through having beta readers which are you know the people that go and like I said I have people that read the chapters yeah. one by one as I produce them and um, they they will sometimes uh, catch those and then finally your editor which in my case is my lovely wife Carol and and I've had a couple other really fine grammar specialists that have come beside me and are willing to read my my final manuscript or at least my um, when it's almost ready yeah. yeah yeah and help out so so it gets caught yeah well that's and, and I think um, you know I've followed a lot of authors um, a lot of times um, like in the business sector when I listen to different people some of them have like kind of gone more towards the author route uh, and so they talk about that process the writing process and things like that and it's very intensive uh, and I think maybe that's what scared me off from uh, pursuing more but like it is that like it's e not easy but like you get that first draft and you write the final line you're like okay I've got the starting point but that really is what it is because the real work is going back through and putting all of it back together again. And you're, I don't know, that part is the part that is intimidating. Oh, absolutely. For me, it is anyway. I, I kind of um, like, I, I think it was Hemingway that said, uh, this is bad because people can look this up and fact check me here. But um, it was a famous author that said, to write drunk and edit sober. And, <laughs> you know, I, the longer I mull that over, the more accurate I think that probably is. Uh, editing is definitely the hard thing, and you better be very um, in command of your senses as you do it. Yeah. So when you are, um, when you're writing a series, like what you're doing with the trilogy, are there, I guess... Do you have certain tools and stuff like that you have so that when you're writing in your third book, you have callbacks or you have things that you know, like, oh, I have to tie this end up or this end up in the second book. Do you have tools that you do that or do you just scratch them on a piece of paper or on a Word doc that you're like, oh, I've got to touch on these things? Uh, that's uh, you. You just asked that, and I've said I'm a discovery writer, so I discover those things that I need to pull back into the uh, the book yeah. um, as I write, and and so there's a little bit of purposefulness to it for sure. Uh, I I have a a brain that perhaps is a little um, scattered or categorized. I don't know whether whether I have a box for the stuff that I want to bring out later that I do bring out later or not, but um, you're, I don't know of any tool that that is out there to do that, but there are some very interesting um, plotting uh, platforms or software that are out there, and I've never explored those yet. Okay. Maybe for my next series. Yeah, very cool. 
So, with that, are you are you just kind of taking this journey as it comes, and are are you already thinking of your next series? Or are you really focused on what you're doing now and see what happens next? So after I finished the um, whirlwind tour of book two, in terms of my writing, I felt like I really needed a break, and I think my wife insisted on it. <laughs> you think? <laughs> that, we'll leave it at that. And um, so, so I'm not writing anything right now. I, I'm going to take uh, three months off, so we're a month into that. So I've got another two months that I'm just not going to really write into book three and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on it. But right now I'm writing a, a novelette, just something probably 20,000 words or so that I think is kind of a more of a fun, um, it's a little darker, but it's a lot more fun okay. uh, in terms of I, I'm going to be done with it. I don't have to think about, oh, well, what's, you know, if I put a gun on the table, am I going to have to use that gun in two years, right. you know, that type of thing. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that has been helpful in, um, in just kind of giving me something, okay, I'm staying in the writing mode, I'm thinking and being creative, I'm having fun with it, which, which I love writing. I've never experienced writer's block. Of course, now that I've mentioned this on air, <laughs> I probably will tempt fate. But um, so, so I enjoy keeping my, um, the, the creative juices flowing, and um, I hope to, to publish that sometime in the next year or so. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually something I would say I've, maybe it's a, a parent thing because you don't have as much time to delve in, but for a long time I was like looking for like great series that you could really dive in and like the world building and all that. But as I've, I feel like probably late 20s, early 30s, like I've started really enjoying smaller stories. Like, you know, there's there's series on Netflix where they'll do like 10 episodes, but everyone is its own thing and not at all connected. And you're like, oh, like it's nice to just be able to sit down, watch one hour-long thing and you're like that's it I don't have to think about this that's going to come out there's not an end scene there's not anything it's just that and um, I really started enjoying that more and more yeah I think that's an interesting uh, take and I, I some of it perhaps is cultural we've got a um, you know we're now able to stream an entire series or entire year or 10 years or whatever <laughs> of uh, and all, you know, from beginning to end within hours, days, weeks, a month or whatever, you know. Um, and, and that's something that just wasn't available to us uh, when I was your age, for instance. Yeah. So a series now, and I do notice people go, is the last book done yet? And I'm like, no. And they go, oh, well, I'll wait, you know, before I, I buy the book because I don't want to, you know, I want to binge read it or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's so different than the way I was when I was uh, younger. Because yeah. we would um, uh, expect for years sometimes. Um, yeah. It wasn't, Harry Potter was kind of like that. Yeah. Where they came out and or she came out with, with the book and, and then you waited patiently yeah. for, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. So, so that's changed, and it's changed the expectations of the reader. Yes. Well, and, and we, like you said, we, we live that in the real world, or in, in, in all sorts of media now. Um, like the fact that we get multiple Star Wars, Marvel, and other series yearly, or multiple yearly. It's not even like when one comes out, you're like, when well, i got to wait a couple years. It's like, oh, yeah, three months from now, another one comes out. It's so 
and, and like to some degree, like I've even people that are huge either Star Wars or Marvel fans I've talked to, they're like, yeah, I just decided I wasn't gonna jump on that series just because it's so much. It's it's yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I'm still waiting for Forrest Gump too. <laughs> I feel like that could actually happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, especially with AI, right? Right. Yes. Um, awesome. So, um, in that, uh, now that you mentioned AI, how has that affected when you guys talk and meet and stuff like that? I'm assuming it's there's a strong divide of like some people are like, yeah, I can't use any of it because then you're cheating, or there's people that are like, no, I use it a lot and it assists me. Where do you fall, and where where do you see writers taking this? Yeah, that is the question of the day. Um, uh, chat GPT, uh, and I just have been playing with it a little bit with GPT-4, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, it just is staggering, the the ability of it to um, uh, change the world is, is going to be... I don't think we're ready for it. In fact, no. I, I think that... Um, in my in book two, I have a scene, and AI factors very heavily into it. In fact, I thought I was writing about something 10 years from now, and actually it's starting to sound like I'm a little behind the times. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but <clears throat> one of the characters says, you know, in this cathartic moment of re- realization that we are not ready for, for AI, or for at least... Um, artificial general intelligence, you know, the, the super smart AIs that's making decisions on their own. Yeah. And, uh, but then you can make the same argument. I, I think that we weren't ready for social media. Right. And uh, there's some people that go down that rabbit hole with uh, living their life around Instagram or Facebook or what have you, and it's a bit real problem for some people. Same thing will be true for AI. Um, I... I admit, I, I was trying to fit, learn about this, and it was all character research, of course, because one of my characters is an AI. So I sat down and uh, with a glass of wine. Carol had gone to bed, and I started to have a conversation with ChatGPT3, and at the end of two and a half hours, <laughs> I was like enthralled with its ability to carry on an adult conversation in a meaningful way and uh and that was all through chat yeah. it wasn't dialogue but that's just the next step it's yeah. it's probably here it's just not available to me um and uh, again it's it's like both exciting and scary and back to your question about how it could relate to writers I um, follow, uh, there's a, a very good podcast for writers, and we talk about it, again, with all of these things in Commando Writers, is uh, the creative pen, P-E-N-N, and uh, she is, Joanna Penn is the, um, the podcaster, and she is, like, an indie publisher, and she's really into... Um, uh, you know, supporting the writing communities and a uh, very interesting uh, person and uh, knowledgeable about publishing and writing and marketing and, and the whole bit. So uh, she's very pro uh, using AI as a, um, as a 
a sounding board, for instance. So like a writer, and I've done this, and, I, and it is amazing. You know, it's like the things that you, I would have asked, or I would have searched in Google uh, a long time ago, I'm now just asking ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, because now I don't have to go to the particular websites that it's referencing. Now I don't have to, you know, it's easier. I don't spend as much time searching through meaningless stuff, and I can get right to the heart of the questions I'm asking. So even for things, um, I don't know, a good example might be like, um, how would a narcissist relate to uh, a person in, who just had a car accident? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not a narcissist, and I didn't <laughs> just have a car. I, you know, I mean, but chat GPT will at least try to give you an answer. Yeah. And, and that can be really helpful because as a writer, it's like, am I using chat GPT or any other AI to write my stuff? No, absolutely not. I don't know, no interest in that. I love writing. Yeah. But am I willing to use it as a tool to uh, become uh, deeper in my writing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very cool. And I think that's a great way to differentiate that. Um, and I, I do think that piece of AI is going to, it already has, but as it becomes more mainstream, it's going to be to us, what Google was to us, AI is going to do that, but like tenfold. Uh, and um, yeah, it's like you said, it's super exciting and it's also kind of scary to yep. see where it goes. Yep. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm always been a huge technophile pretty much. And so I enjoy learning about the changes and things. And Well, I, I, I think this is something that you could very easily, you know, stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not going to, uh, you know, it's just a fad or something. And I see no evidence of that. This is, this is something that's going to be with us. Uh, we can either be, you know, crushed by the wave or try to get on top of it and, and figure it out. So that's, yeah. that's, I'm going to surf it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I'd like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? That's actually pretty easy. Um, I have a, I got a, a, a ball that is, uh, it's motion activated and it glows. And now it's not as much fun for me as it is for my dog. But what happens is where the fun for me comes in. So at night, I make a practice of, throwing the ball out into the dark. My dog disappears into the dark and follows this glowing, pulsating red, green, blue, white ball, and then grabs the ball. And so I get to watch the disembodied dog or ball come <laughs> at me uh, in the dark. And I just find like total amusement out of that again and again. And I, I find myself like I'm wondering when it will get old to, to see this ball traveling towards me in the middle of the darkness. And so far, no, it's good. It's kind of like the eagles on Kameno. You know, it's uh -huh. like, I've been living here for 33 years and I never get tired of watching the eagles. So maybe I'll always like to see the ball come at me at the <laughs> night. Very cool. Um, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? I, this is a little cliche, but of course it was my coach, uh, a swim coach, uh, Mr. Gordon. And he was a, um, he always would tap his index finger to his forehead to tr get us to think. 
He wanted us to swim smarter, not harder, and figure things out. And he definitely, I never really quite got the whole tapping the had the finger to the forehead until I got older. And I really started appreciating, okay, so what he was saying when he did that was, you just figured something out to make it so you were a better swimmer. Your form was better. You were using less energy, you, you know, whatever it was. And, and so, so now I, I think of that often in my adult life is that, and maybe AI has something to do this. What, what we just said is it's better to work smarter, not harder. And there are different tools that allow us to do that. And improving form and swimming is one of those tools. Yeah, nice. All right, this is a fill in the blank question. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Okay, I don't know if this is weird. I guess for most people who aren't scuba divers, this might be weird. Or people who don't like cold water, it might be weird. But there's a, um, a geological formation that is the largest mountain range in uh, the world, actually, called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And it goes right through the heart of Iceland. And there is a place, so the Mid-Atlantic Mid Ridge is formed by the North American tectonic plate mm -hmm. and the Eurasian tectonic plate. Okay. And so the importance of those is that they actually happen to be uh, spreading away from each other. Okay. So the one's going west and the other's going east. And so what's happening, and this, isn't, this is on a geological format, so you know, we're talking maybe like an inch or less a year, um, and uh, is is this separation so there's kind of a, a a rift being formed and there's a place in uh, Iceland in a national park there that scuba divers can go and drop down into crystal clear 34 degree water that's fresh water ironically enough um, and uh, see for uh, distances that are almost unheard of underwater, like, you know, um, 100 meters, so like, what, 300 feet, where out here in the Puget Sound, I'd still be in a dry suit, I'd still be cold, and I'd be able to see maybe 40 feet, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, so to go ahead and have that same cold, uh, limiting experience in Icelandic waters to see 300 feet of a geological phenomenon that is like so unique. Yeah. I think that would be just fascinating. That's very cool. I think that's the most like <laughs> out there like thing that <laughs> I've ever gotten for that answer. That's very cool. I've always, uh, not always, but especially as of late, um, Iceland just a fascinating country. Be so cool to go visit. Um, very cool. All right. Normally I ask um, who's an interesting or fascinating person to interview next, but you've actually provided me with a list, so um, we're going to skip past that one and end on what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Okay. Um, be more creative. Don't um, be quite as hard on uh, people because not everybody thinks in a rationalistic sense you know, and some people are more emotional. So, and now that I uh, sort of fit and um, socializing with more creatives, I'm like, huh, you actually have something of value to add here. <laughs> so, 
So I think I was a little too judgmental when I was uh, 20. <laughs> well, life is about growing, and so continuing to grow is, is the positive thing there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Brandon. It's been a pleasure being here. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Finley Beach for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to tell your friends about the greatest little podcast focused on Commando Island and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, again, I apologize for the audio quality. We have replaced the mic, so that should be all good now. And with that, guys, I will see you on the next one.